Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. So Matthew chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one in the seats around you somewhere. And so if there's not one in front of you, there's one uh, in the chair that you're sitting in or um, somewhere around um, where you're sitting. And so today we're focusing really in on verse 10 of Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so kind of as we've established, kind of as a recap, as catching you guys up to date who haven't been with us um, What's going on in this prayer um, is that Jesus is really graciously patterning or modeling for us what humble, faith-filled prayer looks like. Um, And so when Jesus tells us, um, do not pray like this and do not pray like this, I think it can be boiled down to a prayer that is not humble because the first example that he gives is it's the people who say, look at me, look at me, look at me. And, and then the second kind of negative that he gives in prayer is the Gentiles who heap up empty phrases. And, and I think what that can be boiled down to is a prayer of faithlessness, um, that we feel like we've got to kind of like bend our father's arms to try to hear us, um, or we've got to kind of come up with something fancy in order for him to come through on what we pray for. And Jesus, I think, is addressing, hey, when you pray, you are to pray humbly and you are to pray in faith. You are pray in faith that God, your Father, hears you. In fact, what Jesus opens up the model prayer. So, like any good, um, like like any good teacher, uh, Jesus here, which by the way is more than a good teacher, but like any good teacher does, he not only gives us the negative. He only says not. He only doesn't say this isn't what you should do. He also says here is how to do it. And so, a good parent, a good teacher, uh, will not only tell you. No, no, no. They'll also say, do this, do this, do this. Like Paul in his letters to the churches consistently will say, hey, flee this, but also pursue this. He not only says the negative, he says the positive. And so Jesus here is really setting an example for that. He's saying, don't pray like this. Instead, pray like this. And so the way that Jesus patterns for us this humble, faithful prayer, he begins it by saying, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. And so last week, kind of what we talked about was this. And I I really kind of want to recap this because even just some of the conversations that I've had with some of our Hope is Alive friends um, and and even what I know about some of our people here is that this idea of of God as our Father, man, is deeply important. It's deeply fundamental for us. In fact, if we desire to be a praying people, if we desire to be a praying people in a praying church who prays humble, faith-filled prayers, then Jesus has patterned for us that the most fundamental reality that we must experience and embrace is that we are God's children. Like if, like if prayer's gonna become more than just a, you know, just a, a daily ritual and more than just a, a reciting of kind of a, a common prayer, and if, if we want it to be humble and faith-filled, then I believe what Jesus is saying is, hey, we've got to first understand that what, who we're approaching is not just a holy, just God, but also a God who is our Father. That's important. That's really important. And so Jesus states here that the basis of the communication that we have with God is a relationship. 
So when he says our father, what he's saying is the basis upon which you approach God is not as some you know, entitled servant or entitled child or some mere servant, but you are approaching him upon the basis of a relationship that you have with your heavenly father. And it's not a relationship, it's not a relationship on the basis of what we have done or a relationship based upon what we're owed by God, but a relationship based only on what God has done for us in Christ. You know that if you're a child of God, you are a child of God only because of what God has done for you, right? Not because of anything that you can add to or contribute to God. Some people, some, the way that some people say is the only thing you contribute your, to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary for God to save you. That's your contribution. That's your contribution to salvation. And so from that basis that Jesus gives for our communication with God in prayer, Jesus moves into what we're gonna study today to I believe is the goal and the focus of prayer with our heavenly father. And this is what verse, chapter six, verse 10. So if you would read that. Hallowed be your name. You're like, you're gonna preach a sermon on that? That's exactly what we're about to do. We're gonna, we're gonna this morning, study hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we move into the, the, the portion of, of this prayer um, that, that really is kind of the, what we can understand as the request portion. So we've, 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 we've acknowledged God as our father and we're moving into the, the part of prayer that Jesus models for us that may be what we can consider the requests that we're making requests of God. And you're thinking, we're making requests of God. Don't hear, we're making demands of God. In fact, as we study hallowed be your name, you'll see it is the only right request that we are to start this prayer with, is that God's name would be made holy. Hey, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good request, right? Um, it doesn't start off with God, give me what I need, give me what I need. It starts with, Lord, may your name be holy. May your name be hallowed. And so we move into the request or the supplication part of this model prayer. And, and there is something for us to recognize that is vital. We've got to recognize this. We've got to catch this. Um, when, when calling upon God to, to move or to act, okay? And so this is, this is that thing that I want you to catch, all right? The request in the Lord's prayer begin first with a longing for the presence of God rather than with the personal provisions of God. So the requests in the prayer begin with the presence of God rather than the provisions of God, what he can give to me. So our first approach to God is, God, we long for your presence. We long for your presence in the world and in our lives. Now, here's the deal. Both the presence of God and the, the provisions of God are, are both crucial and vital in approaching God in prayer. Um, you will not see in the Bible a diminishing of either one of these things. You will not see, even in this prayer, that asking God for provisions is bad, right? We literally ask him to give us our daily bread. And so both are crucial, the provisions of God and the presence of God, because God certainly meets our needs, he meets our needs, God promises to do so, and, and other scriptures, even later in chapter six, will tell us he wants to meet our needs. That if a, that if a I think it's in Luke, specifically, where he talks about a, a wicked king 
Someone just keeps coming to this king begging for something and the king keeps telling her, go away, go away. And finally, the king gives her what she needs and, and Jesus is comparing himself as a better king because he says, if an unjust judge will give to this woman what she needs, how much more will your father in heaven provide what you need? And so, hey, the, the, the needs that we ask for from God, the provisions, the daily bread, the not leading us into temptation, those are all things that God wants to respond to and wants to hear from us. But what this prayer models for us, what Jesus models for us in this prayer is that, that our requests of God are first Godward. They're first directed towards him in his glory, in his presence, removing ourselves from the center of prayer and placing God squarely at the center. We've gotta, man, we've gotta get this. And remember, do not forget how Jesus, what the foundation Jesus laid here, our Father in heaven. And so it's not like God's just some, you know, guy up there needing all the attention. No, he's actually our Father. And so if, if, if I understand correctly what a good and gracious father is, it's that the things that a good and gracious father are going to ask for from his children are actually good for his children, right? Now, several of us, several in this room um, have, may have negative experiences with an earthly father. And so maybe the things that your father requested or demanded from you, you know were not good for you. But what Jesus lays this foundation is, is that God is our heavenly father. He is good and gracious. And the things that he commands of us, as 1 John will say, the commands of God are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. There's a, there's a pastor named John Onwachekwa. John O is what he goes by. Um, John O brings attention to the fact that throughout the Bible, throughout all the scriptures, if you read them, that those who gain peace, and security in this life are the people who long for God's presence over God's possessions. That those who experience the fullness of life, who have peace and security in life, are those who long for the presence of God rather than his, rather than his possessions. And so I, I believe, so maybe you're like, well, what is, what is the, hallowed be your name? What is that request? I believe that the way that we are to understand hallowed be your name is a request. So, so maybe you've read the prayer before and you thought, no, that's not a request. That's a declaration that God's name is holy. In fact, man, I've opened many of my prayers that way. Our Father in heaven, your name is so holy, which is absolutely true, amen? Amen, his name is holy. But can I just, can I just submit to you that, that I believe that this is actually uttered by Jesus as a request because of the, the tense of the word hallowed. God doesn't just use, Jesus doesn't just use the word holy is your name. He's, he says hallowed be your name. And so this is certainly a, a personal acknowledgement of the holiness of God and a personal acknowledgement of God's holiness is necessary in our rightful approach to God. But this is more than an acknowledgement and is a request for the name and the fame and the glory and the holiness of God to be known and acknowledged, not just in me, but in the earth. God, God we want your name to be known throughout the whole world, right? And so kind of, it really kind of gets our eyes off of us. You know, you're not, your name's not just holy to me in my little holy huddle here. No, I want your name to be known and magnified and glorified in all of the earth. Hallowed be your name is not only your name is holy, 
um, is your name, but maybe recognized as, uh, yeah, hallowed be your name isn't only your name is holy, but also may your name be recognized as holy, which by the way, is something else that God desires to do. He desires for his name to be known, right? Desires that. He will do it and he has promised to do it. Here's the amazing thing in this prayer, in this opening request, that we are actually calling upon God to fulfill what he's already promised to do. He's promised to, for the earth to be filled with his glory. Where do I get that? I get that from a little known book that you probably skip over in your Bible reading plan quite a bit, Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.14 says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You hear that? Does it say might be? Does it say maybe? No, God declares in his word that, his, that, that, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And so we are actually calling upon God and requesting God to do what he has already promised he will do. Hey, and by the way, that's the case for the rest of the prayer. So maybe today you're like, man, where am I gonna eat my next meal? And listen, we're not like prosperity gospel people here. Like, that's the last thing we want to do. And so we understand that like, hey, life is hard. But can I just, can I just say that if you read the rest of this prayer, that these things are actually things that God has already promised to do? He's already promised to meet your needs. He's already promised to, to give your daily bread. He has already promised through his son Jesus to forgive you of your sins. He has already promised to give us a way out of temptation and to deliver us from evil. He's already promised that. And so we're simply calling upon God in this prayer to do the thing, to fulfill what he has promised to do. And so our prayer, Jesus is modeling a prayer that is very much aligning ourselves with the will of God. Man, so many times we are like, we are desperate to pray the will of God in our lives. And the way that Jesus models here is that, hey, are you first and foremost praying that God would just simply align your life with his will? That God would align your life with his, rather than me trying to get from God what it is that I need and what I want and to align ourselves with him. When was the last time that you prayed and asked God for his glory to fill the earth? To fill your, I mean, maybe even a little more practical. When was the last time you prayed for God's glory and holiness to fill your life? Lord, would you be glorified in me? So that they may know, in fact, I think this may be a way for us. I think this hallowed be your name may be a way for us to pray evangelistically. So to pray for people to come to know Christ. Lord, maybe this prayer sounds like this. Lord, would, would you bring people to yourself and enable blind hearts to see you as holy and glorious? If we're going to pray for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, let me just say the way that's going to happen is for people responding to his grace, responding to the gospel. Because, hey, people are gonna bring God glory. God's going to receive glory. But the kind of glory we're asking for God to have displayed in the earth is that people would follow him, that people would believe in the life-changing truth of the gospel. In fact, Paul tells Timothy in, first, in the book of 1 Timothy um, that, that praying evangelistically will be an important aspect of his ministry and in the ministry of the church. Someone turn with me to 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, and somebody read that real loud. 1 Timothy 2, 
one through four. If you're in one of those uh, Bibles in the seats in front of you, that's on page 991. First Timothy 2, one through four. Man, that's good, right? I mean, Paul's telling Timothy that, a, that an important aspect of Timothy's ministry and an important aspect of the ministry of the church is that we would be praying for, what is, how, does, how does he say it? Um, that we would pray for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And then later follows it up with the desire of God to see all people saved and come to the knowledge of truth. This is a hallowed be your name prayer in 1 Timothy 2, right? It's a hallowed be your name. Lord, would your name be known in all places? I'm gonna pray for kings and all who are in high positions that they may come to know you because you desire for your glory to be known in the earth. This is a hallowed be your name prayer. And so as we long for the presence of God and the will of God, we begin first by praying for God's name to be hallowed in the earth. And so this request for the hallowing of God's name, the fame of his name, the glory of his name, it sets the tone for what we are then modeled to ask for or request from God. And so let's read the next part of Matthew chapter six. Matthew six, verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, hey, there's often conversation and maybe even some debate over the years of um, what the nature of prayer is. Like, what's the nature of prayer? Is the nature of prayer kind of personal communion between me and God, or is it seeking to advance the kingdom of God? Is it praying for God to do things, you know, like tangible things in the earth and all those things like, Lord, Build your church, which he's promised to do. Um, help us to do this. Is it supplication or is it personal communion? Um, and so, so to me, it would seem that, that if this prayer were to, be, were to be categorized into one of those more than the other, it would be the latter. Like this prayer seems like a kingdom advancing prayer, right? Lord, just keep, keep moving. Keep, keep moving in this, in, this, in this earth. Keep providing the needs that we have. But I would say that the scriptures... So I've, I've kind of like, if, I, if I've confused you already, let me clear this up. The scriptures are full of both kinds of prayer. This is not either or. This is not either personal communion, worship with God, or seeking to advance the kingdom of God through the means that he's already provided and promised. It's both. It's both. We absolutely find in the scriptures places where it is us and God praying with God. Hey, oftentimes in the Psalms, wrestling with God crying out to God, asking him questions, maybe even doubting God's love for us. And I don't wanna put that in your minds, but you find that all throughout the, the, the Psalms where there are places where there's deep struggle and wrestle. And God, can you hear me? Are you there? And so there's, there's a little bit of, of both. There are prayers throughout the scriptures that, it, it, that, that don't show us that we sometimes pray these and sometimes those, but, the, but, the, but that both of these prayers are even interwoven. I just say like, it's, it's possible that it's not only both and, but that it's actually what prayer is, is both of these things together, that, that we can adore and acknowledge God's glory through our requests 
and that we can request from God through adoring and glorifying him? I mean, they're, they're together. To separate them is to separate a very fundamental truth about prayer, that we've got these prayers over here and these prayers over here, but no, it's, it's hey, Lord, when I come to you and I'm asking you what your will is in my life, what, what it is that you want from me, man, I'm, I'm starting with adoring and hallowing your name personally. And man, when I'm, when I'm hallowing the name of God, what a great response after we have hallowed and glorified God's name to, to ask him to provide for the things that we need because he is our father. And so this is what Jesus models for us, supplication and adoration. So the hallowing of God's name sets this tone of what we desire to see happen here in our lives. And so what Jesus is modeling for us here and what he's teaching us in a very real way is that the great ends of all that we strive for and work towards in this life is the glory of God and the kingdom of God. That's it. Like you wanna know what we're, what we're praying towards, what we're moving towards, the glory of God to fill the earth. The kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So the goal of the church, the goal of what we do here, the glory of God and the kingdom of God. The goal of your life, the glory of God and the kingdom of God. Like, that's God's will, that his glory would be known. And so in a sense, we, in a sense, we, we, we sense here in this prayer that our prayer here is, is kind of, here's a, here's a big fancy word that I just couldn't think of, the, of another way to put it without saying it and explaining it. In one sense, our prayer here is eschatological. And what eschatological means is that like the end, the end, just meaning the end times when Christ returns. We long for that day. We want that day. But it's not only eschatological, I would, I would say. It's not only like, Lord, I'm just gonna kind of sit here in my, in, my, in my prayer circle and just pray and just kind of hunker down, bunker down, get in my bunker with all my food and things like that and wait for the end to come. No, I don't think that, this is only speaking of the end. It's speaking about right now. Because here's what you need to hear, church. Eternal life, eternal life is more than just the quantity of days and the life that awaits us in heaven one day. Eternal life is the quality of life available to us right now. There's a kind of life that following Jesus brings. Now, not just then. There's, this, there's a, a value and a, an equality of our lives. We long for the, for the kingdom of God to come, but it is also true, Jesus said, it is also true that the kingdom is at hand. Like the kingdom is upon us. The kingdom is, is, is here, it's here in part. So, so what does that tell us? What does that tell us right now that nothing that we do here and nothing that we do now is inconsequential? Nothing that we do here and now is inconsequential. That we ought to be concerned now and view now as a vital part in the coming and final kingdom being fully established. That, hey, we are working towards seeing God's kingdom come, not for our salvation, right? Grace is given to us. This isn't about salvation. This is about doing the will of God here on this earth and praying for him to do his will through us. And so, this idea is what Jesus has been teaching throughout this whole sermon. Hey, kingdom life now, fullness now, flourishing now. He, he, he kind of gets our minds off of thinking, thinking that, eternity's, that, 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 that salvation's only about heaven and starts talking to us about how we relate with one another, like how we look at one another, like the way that a man looks at a woman, the way that we respond when someone does something to us that's hurtful, 
So he, what he's saying is eternal life is available to you right now in how you even interact with those who are around you. So let's go back to, the, to this ultimate reality. We've, we, we talk about how kingdom life is about quality of life now. But let's go back to this ultimate reality and the coming fulfillment of God's kingdom as a day that we look forward to to come. And so here's what I know as, as your pastor and just a, a normal human being. I am, I'm deeply aware of many in this room right now that are part of, that are part of Grace Harbor um, to who the, the full flourishing kingdom life now just kind of feels out of reach for, right? Like you're, you're thinking like, oh, there's, there's fullness and flourishing now? Like, man, I'm suffering. Like I'm really struggling right now. What is this fullness of life? I'm struggling with sickness and pain and uncertainty and death and sadness and all of these things. And so maybe this kingdom life now is only something that's like kind of going in one ear and out the other for you. And you're like, hey man, just get me to the end. <laughs> have you ever, there, there have been times where like I've actually been like sitting in a meeting with someone here in this church and we're like planning for something. Like Leanne and Thomas can, can attest to this. There's, there, I don't know if I've said this to them, but there's been times where we've like been planning for something and it's just kind of stressful. I'm just like, man, I just wish Jesus would come back and we wouldn't even have to worry about any of this, right? Like, I just, I, I wish he'd just come back today so that we wouldn't have to worry about like what we're gonna do at Christmas time, right? Like, would you just come back? If Jesus could come back before I spend all the money on Christmas presents, that'd be really great. And so maybe for you, like right now, you're just like, we just long for that day. We long for that day and we should. There is a longing for that day that we, that, that we want. And so what resonates with some in here that we have to acknowledge as the church is that what resonates with, with a lot of people is the coming day, the Revelation 21 day, where it says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Hey, that day sounds really good. But can I just remind you, there is life to you now. There's life abundantly now in, in this life, in this world. But man, I'm so grateful that we have a God who's promised us a day where there will be no more tears. I know that that message resonates really deeply with, with the family of a funeral that I did yesterday who, who, in, who in this life really don't know anything about this hope, that I tried just as hard as I could in front of this family to, to give them some kind of hope and, and, if, and if the message of this fullness, flourishing life now were to be communicated to them, they, they have no framework for that. They kind of have an idea of like what heaven is. Everybody goes there, you know, in, in their mind. But, but there's a day coming where there will be no more tears, no more sickness, sorrow, sadness, pain, no more death. That All of those things will have passed away. And so we live in this tension as we pray for God's kingdom come. We pray for God's kingdom come. The way that some people say it is don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. You've heard that? Hey, listen, I, I don't know how I feel about that quote because I think being really heavenly minded will make you of great earthly good. And so like that quote's kind of good, but not really 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is the right posture for us as children of God to say, hey, I am so heavenly, eternally minded that I am, that I am of, of great earthly good, not to be arrogant, right? Not to be arrogant, but to say, man, I'm really, my eternity motivates me today to take, to take advantage of all that God has called me to here. And so the great reformer, Martin Luther, acknowledges that the reign of God on earth is only partial now, but that the fullness of the future kingdom is unimaginable. Hey, we cannot imagine. Right now, it's only partial. It's only, we only see the kingdom of God in a very small way, but the future kingdom is unimaginable. And so it's when we surrender to God, as the text says, your will be done, that we begin to get a picture of God's coming kingdom. And so what does that look like on a real level in each of our hearts? Like, what does this look like for us today? To pray this, what does it mean? What are the implications? Because we all wanna know the consequences of prayer, right? Like, okay, sometimes you've prayed, have you ever prayed for patience? Yeah, like you've heard that. You've prayed for patience or you've prayed for humility and then what does God do? He gives you opportunities to practice patience and you're like, I wish you wouldn't have done that, God. And he's like, you asked for it. And so what are the, what are the consequences of this? Now, don't hear that in a, in a negative way. What are the implications of praying your will be done? Well, asking God's will to be done likely looks, looks like God to extend his, his royal, high-level, cosmic power into every practical, ground-level parts of our lives. So Lord, you are holy and you are on high and you are in the heavens and you do all that you please. It's easy to say that, but how easy is it to surrender these smaller areas of our lives to him? So we surrender to him our emotions. We surrender to him our desires. We surrender to him our thoughts. We, we surrender to him our commitments. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And so our praying God's will be done, it may be costly for us. It may be costly for our flesh. It may be costly for the plans that we have or the things that we want to see happen. Like, Lord, would you just let your will be done in my life? Praying this will probably mean that, mean, um, that, we, that we love what God commands as much as we love what God promises. We love what he commands of us as much as we love what he promises. Hey, there's a lot of great promises that God gives to us, right? And we, man, we love those promises. We sing songs about, you know, claiming those promises and holding on to those promises, which are great songs. But how often do you hear a song of <laughs> taking joy in the commands of God in our life? You don't hear many of those. Those don't strike the same kind of emotion in us that the promises of God do. But again, I read, I, I'm gonna quote this over and over again. I read this in, in 1 John this week, that the commands of God are not burdensome. And so may we love the commands of God as much as the promises of God. Your will be done may threaten our comfort at times and is very much a prayer of submission and surrender to him. Um, again, I, I wanna quote something that Martin Luther says when he's talking through prayer. He kind of paraphrases this and gives us some commentary by praying, grant us peace, listen to this, grant us peace to bear willingly all sorts of sickness, poverty, disgrace, suffering, and adversity, and to recognize that in this, your divine will is crucifying our will. Lord, grant us the peace to endure these things that come into our life. 
in your will to be to, to making us more and more, conforming us more and more to the image of your son. You know that that's often how conformity to Christ looks, right? It's through suffering, through pain, through hardship, through us surrendering things that we don't want to surrender. And so would the Lord just do this work in us? And so as we kind of close, I wanna rein this thought in and not allow it to get too far out, too far in our minds from what Jesus has established the basis of our prayers to be. Remember, all these things that God commands of us, remember what the basis of our communication with God is. Can somebody say it? Prayer, relationship. That we, that we have a relationship with God. The basis of our prayers is, again, not coming to God as a genie, not coming to God as just this, sorry to be tacky sugar daddy in the sky, but as a, as a loving father. And that's, that's how we approach God. Hey, sometimes my children approach me and like, I think, you know, they, they, like they're probably doing the whole thing like, dad, can we have this, you know, like, you see what I'm seeing, seeing here? Like, start, like shielding themselves from my wrath, right? That's not what Jesus tells us that the basis of our relationship with God is. That we approach God and, and, and the way that Jesus even communicated to it is Luke 15, a God who actually runs towards us in the story of the prodigal son. He's a God who, he's not sitting on his rocking chair on the porch waiting for you to come home at midnight. Man, he's sitting on the porch watching for when you will return and when he sees you in the distance, he will immodestly run towards you and fall on you and receive you. And so it could be really hard for us to pray prayers that seem to threaten our comfort to a God who is impersonal and unaware of what I'm going through, right? Man, it can be really dangerous and scary to be that vulnerable with a, with a God if he doesn't really know who I am. But God does know us, and that's not the case. We don't have a God who is unaware, who is deaf to our cries, but one who knows our need and hears us. How and upon what basis could we possibly submit ourselves to God in this vulnerable of a way? Tim Keller says that unless we are, we are profoundly certain that God is our Father, we will never be able to say to him, thy will be done. Do you hear that? Unless we are profoundly certain that God is our Father, we will never be able to say, thy will be done. That's what Jesus shows us. That's why he doesn't say, first, thy will be done, and then our God, our Father in heaven. He says, our Father in heaven lays the basis of our prayers and then begins to lay out those things that we call to God on. And so this Father reality is the basis of not only our prayers, but our trust in God as we pray for his will to be done in our lives. This is, this is really amazing, something that I caught on kind of late in the week, um, that in Matthew 26, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. And it is, it is this very line, thy will be done, that Jesus himself prays to the Father. Not once, but twice. So go to Matthew 20, if you want to, later, go to Matthew 26. And you'll see there that Jesus prays this very prayer your will be done, not mine, but yours. And so in Jesus' most vulnerable, most crushing moment, Jesus trusts and he exemplifies trust 
in our heavenly Father. So may we pray in this way, knowing that God is our Father for the will of God to be done. Man, I, I hope that that's clear. I hope that that makes sense. If, if I have muddied or clouded this up in any way, then may, then may the Spirit of God just bring clarity to our hearts and minds today about this. Because we being convinced that God is our Heavenly Father can pray to our Father, Father, your will be done. There's, there is, let me just tell you something right now. At least, it, um, maybe in human terms, this would be the case, but in, in biblical terms, there is no danger for you in praying, thy will be done. No danger, zero. And so you're like, well, how could you say that? Like, what, what about all the martyrs and the people who have died over the centuries? Well, Paul acknowledges in Romans, you may die. But he says, that's not a danger to you. To, to, to be, you know, to, in Philippians, how does he say it? To live as Christ, to die as gain. So death, suffering, Romans 8, 28, where, the, the, by the way, today's 8, 28. It's 8, 28 day. I woke up and saw that. I was like, it's 8, 28 day. We should have planned for that. Um, but we did. We were just preaching the word. Um, in Romans, Romans chapter eight, that's what, that's what Paul tells us. He essentially says, there is no danger to you in praying God's will to be done in your life. And, and you're thinking of all the whatabouts and the caveats. Paul covers that. Sickness, sword, pestilence, death, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so if you will submit yourself to God as your father, pray thy will be done, there will be no danger that falls upon you that will take you away from his love. Let's, let's pray. Father, would you help us to understand the reality of what you have what you have taught us and shown us in your word. Help us even now to, to pray. Lord, may your name be glorified. May your name be hallowed. Lord, I pray that your name be hallowed in this room, in our church. Lord, hallowed be your name in our in our, in our zip code, 73162. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name in our city. Hallowed be your name in our, in our nation and in our world. We are calling God upon you to, to show us the holiness of who you are. To, to, to reveal and to revive dead hearts to the holiness and the glory of who you are so that they may, their lives may bring you glory. So Lord, we just pray that, again, your name be hallowed in our world and in our lives, in our church. Church family, I wanna invite you for just a few minutes to, to pray to the Lord as we, as we did last week and as we will make a, a very regular part of our gathering from this day forward that you would just take time even now. Maybe there's someone around you that you, you would wanna pray with. Um, if you need prayer, um, interrupt somebody's prayer and ask them to pray for you. Uh, maybe you're aware 
Maybe, some, maybe you're aware in this room of something that someone's walking through and you would just kind of take the, take the initiative and the boldness to, to maybe go and pray with that person, pray for that person, pray over that person. And so let's just take some time now to, to pray to our Heavenly Father in, in the way that Christ has modeled for us.